Good day and welcome to episode 186 of FECT podcast. Gabe's Rendezvous with Destiny. I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew. We did Dave's Rendezvous with Destiny last week, Dave. I said Gabe's. Gabriel's. Oh, Gabe. Gabriel Garcia's Rendezvous with Destiny. Rendezvous with Destiny. Yeah. Which, of course, leads neatly into what we're doing in this episode. And obviously, we've got a couple of new patrons. That was a tortured segue, if ever there was one. Seeing, actually, (laughs) Gabriel's name is in the title of the show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, anyway, sorry, carry on. And I set the title to be a rendezvous. Um, uh, No, to be a segue. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, folks, just Different remember, terms all mixed up. now that Matthew has a real job, we are doing, we always record this now on a Sunday morning, so it's quite early, yeah. we're quite bleary-eyed. And it's early, and, um, and I haven't dropped my coffee yet, it's here, waiting for me to drink and that's my so. And that's my excuse and apology for Matthew's utter unprofessionalism. Anyway, carry on, what, mate. What, have, <laughs> what about all the other 185 episodes we've done, some of which I wasn't working for? That's true. I should apologise um, for those ones as well, shouldn't I? Yes. Yeah, but you're you're interrupting me doing the what's in this episode. This fabulous segue. Yes, it's Gabe, yeah, so, Gabriel Garcia's Rendezvous with Destiny, Matthew. Which is a great lead-in <laughs> to what we're doing in this episode. Obviously, we've got a couple of new patrons to thank, so Ooh. we'll be thanking them Excellent. very Thank shortly. You. We've got a little bit of news in the world of gaming. We're going to be looking at the Ennies and um, some other games that we have been reading and playing as well. Um, oh, and some, there's some special Merc Boy news. And then the uh, featured content of this episode is our interview, as promised last week, uh, with the creator of the new forthcoming Year Zero Engine World War II game, War Stories. Indeed. And that was a great that was a great interview. Gabriel is such a fabulous guy and it's such a been such a pleasure working with him and he is he is really good in, in the interview. He's just um he's great. I could listen to him for hours. He make, he makes things that are actually quite complicated sound really, really simple. So it's it's really Yeah. Good. Yeah. He is he's a history teacher, obviously, um and it and it shows actually in his Yes. Uh I mean, you know, all our interview guests are great and, and we've never really had any problems interviewing no. anybody. No, we've, ne- we've, we've never, never had never anybody had... on the show that we have to eke words out of. But no. but he did such well formed answers, you know, addressed the question in a in a full and honest way and then stopped. It was great. Really yeah. good interview. Well <laughs> done. You are a good interview, Gabe. We will interview you again at yes. some point. It is um, funny, though. Okay, Gabe, so Gabe, Gabe does sound a lot like Dave when you said it, though, because you said, like, you're a good interview, <laughs> Dave. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm not bad. Yeah, yeah that's but fine. Yeah, that's cool. What you have to remember, Dave, and we saw the evidence of it in the last episode, is you're a shit interview. I'm, not, I'm saying not as good as Gabriel, that's for sure. I, 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 I hold my hands up to that one. Uh, right, let's get on with with our new patrons. Yes. Um, we've got two new patrons uh, in this episode, uh, one of whom, Martin, I am going to apologise in advance for, for screwing up my pronunciation of your surname. And that is Martin Friendian, I think. Friend, Friendian? Something like that? Or Frandin? But, yeah. Sorry, if yeah. it's a complete, anyway. a complete mash. But um, yeah, so we, we've both screwed up your surname there. 
you can tell us which of us was closer to right if you like uh, but but thank you very much for supporting the podcast and the other one David Taylor who I think has long been a friend of ours on Twitter um, has bitten the bullet and also become a patron so Brilliant. thank you David thank you. for joining our little gang yeah, and indeed, uh, I think um, we've seen, I think we've seen both of them, but we've definitely seen David participating in our uh, Discord, which is the nicest place on the internet, is what you meant to say, David. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, so, well, so, yeah, if, well, if, you, welcome. If, you, if you're teeing me up for stuff like that, and it's 9.15 on a Sunday morning, let me know in advance before we start recording, will you? <laughs> and that's, <laughs> was like, that's oh. Dave's apology for... His Everything. own unprofessionalism. Uh, oh yeah, entirely. I, mean, I make no apology for my unprofessionalism. It's just, it's just there. Yeah. <clears throat> right, no, but so, thank you, thank um, you guys. That's brilliant. And uh, yeah, come if you're not on the Discord, come and join us because, as you say, it is the nicest place on the internet. So, world of gaming, world of gaming, Dave. Um, well, I I've guess just had my coffee. Um, I guess it's Ennies' time, isn't it? That's what we've got to talk about most. Yeah, any nominations. Yeah, indeed. and indeed, were there any nominations for our favourite games company? There were. There were couple, very few, but not many. No. So what were there? Well, maybe it's only. Is there any so uh, just an overview of this one. I, it feels to me that this is a very indie game focused um, shortlist. Uh, you know, there's a lot of games here that are. Uh, from well, there there are many games here that I've not heard of, actually, to be brutally frank, and a lot of them from smaller companies. Um, although uh, there is in the best adventure category, uh, a friend of ours, Krista Sunderlin. Indeed, well, the troubleshooters gets a couple of nominations. Yeah. Actually, I'm just trying to look for the other one. So yeah, the yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, in the best adventure category, you've got the U-Boat Mystery, which is the adventure that comes with the core book, or that you can, that, that I got as part of the, the kickstart. Um, so it's a separate book, yeah. but it's, uh, yeah, it's an adventure there. So it's called the U-Boat Mystery, and that is up for best adventure. And I'm just having a look through to try and find, there's definitely something else that Troubleshooters is I believe is nominated you will for. find it down the bottom of the list. I think, because I think it might be... Product of the Year. Um, sorry? Product of the Year. Product of the Year. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I haven't played Troubleshooters yet. I've I've got this aspiration to do uh, a kind of Agatha Christie-style, sort of Death on the Nile-style game with it, mm -hmm. um, which I just haven't had time to progress. But having... Having seen the Ennies nominations, having known we're going to talk about it again, I pulled them off my shelf and had another little look. And they are lovely. I mean, they they do exactly what you would want a Hergé's Adventures of Tintin book to do. Uh, and yeah. certainly the look and feel of it is just spot on. So I think that's a very, very well-earned nomination for product of the year there. As I said, I haven't played it yet. I haven't played the U-Boat Mystery, so I can't comment on how great that is. But obviously, it's got a nomination, so it can't be all bad, that's for sure. I have run the U-Boat Mystery, oh, and okay. I'm going to say it's not my nomination for Best Adventure of the Year. Okay. Um, it, it actually turned out to be quite hard work for the GM in running it. Mm. So, I mean, maybe um, that's just you, because you're not the best GM. Uh, yeah, I... I think you would find some hard work there, but um, okay. 
it it requires it requires a considerable amount of prep, I think, which um, right. is not a thing I like when I'm. You are you are Mr. Low Prep, aren't you? That's for sure. Yeah, and uh, I didn't get away with being no prep. <laughs> um, now, uh, Merc Boyer gets a a number of um, nominations. Uh, not necessarily all for stuff that the guys at uh, Stockholm Cartel have done, but one of the things they've done, the digital monster generator, yes. is up for best accessory or aid digital. Indeed, uh, yes. Of course, absolutely. you've not played Merc Boy yet at all, have you? No, not at all. No, I've, uh, I've read the book, but I haven't played the game yet. No. Uh. Um. And then we get uh, scrolling down the list. There's uh, there's a lot of um, thirsty sword lesbians and Wonder Home and other indie games like that, uh, which I have heard of, by the way, those ones. Uh, but then we cut down to best art interior, and there we do see Free League's name we find mentioned. The, we find the One Ring. Yeah, I think that's their only nomination this year, isn't it? Which is a, a bit yes, of a, it is a bit um, of a short I mean, wall for them. It, it, there's some great art in there, so I'm not complaining. You know, it, it is lovely. I think particularly Alvaro Tapia's work, his line work in a lot of those is mm, chef's kiss. Yeah, so well done to everybody. And again, there. really hits. He really hits the vibe. So again, it's like the the. I, I'm assuming he did the artwork for the hobbits on the um on the on the pre-generated character sheets, and they um, they. Oh, well, whichever one of Possibly. the artists, because there's quite a lot of artists. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of artists there, mentioned, so I'm, I'm, whoever, I'm. Whoever did I'm that, that, sure. they, that really just hit the spot for the the feel and the mood of of the starter set campaign. There, that was great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I entirely agree. Well deserved. I'm a bit disappointed not to see them in best cartography though, because I also love the maps. Um, yes. Yeah. So I haven't seen the maps of any of the others, so it's it's very difficult to for. for yeah, it's, to it's hard to say. They contrast. may be brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, you know, I mean, like you said, I think that it feels like the, the, the nominations have gone to perhaps a broader set of of more indie um, companies and designers. So whether there has been a... Because Free League have been so, I mean, let's say the word dominant over the last few years in a lot of these areas, maybe they just felt it was time. Either, you know, either... Do they think Freeling's getting a bit tired, so it's not uh, quite as good as it was or as edgy as it was? Or do they just feel it's time to give somebody else a go? Or yeah, I think, you know, very much there's a, there's a point where uh, every year you, uh, we, the voting public, when we when we vote for uh, our winners and things on off from this shortlist, we also vote for next year's judges. Yeah. And I think the judges that are choosed every year they have a big influence on what appears, obviously, on the obviously, shortlist. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, we we chose a bunch of kind of indie judges last year yeah, and yeah. um they've chosen a bunch of indie games. Mm. Uh, best game although, though although, has uh, got Yeah, go on. Sorry? No, carry on. I was gonna say best game has got uh, some indie games, but also kind of from some big publishers. So Colossal is uh a yeah. solo RPG adventure from a one-man band, Nick Angel. But we've also got Root from Magpie Games. Yes. And of course, that's based on the Leader Games uh, board game, the asymmetric war game uh, 
with little cute animals. Mm-hmm. We've got troubleshooters again down for best game here. We've got to yeah. mention that earlier on. Thirsty Sword Lesbians, although it's a very indie feeling game, of course, it comes from indie uh, from Evil Hat Productions, which is one of my points about indie. Evil Hat is still pretty indie, even though they're a famous uh, brand. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing, isn't it? I think about. I think the, the if you if you asked hundred different people, you'd probably get a slightly different um, definition, definition of what indie means so it's a it's a yeah it's a perhaps a, it's a it, it's a phrase that doesn't help the conversation very much these days perhaps when it comes to this yeah. sort of thing but um yeah i mean also in there um modifius have got a few um a few mentions so dune gets a couple of uh a couple of nominations uh, and product of yeah. the year and, and, uh, and right and best writing Cthulhu, yeah. Game Master's Guide comes out with Best Layout and Design alongside, and this is the one I'm going to be voting for, Putrescence Regnant, which is another Merkborg uh, production, although um, not directly from uh, Stockholm Cartel, but from Exalted Funeral. Mm, okay. And that's the album. So uh, ah, right. I think what they're getting rewarded there is a laying out an adventure on an album cover. <laughs> yeah, interesting, yeah. Yeah, I think that kind of innovation tends to catch the eye, doesn't it? It's a bit like Merck Boyer caught the eye just because of the of the fearless art and layout yeah. that they did with it, knowing full well that it would probably put a lot of people off straight away. But actually, it, it hooked a lot of people in as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. Anything else to say on on that well i mean good um, luck best of luck to all the nominees um yeah we'll look forward to seeing how they all how they all play out and um yeah good luck to the one ring as well of course uh, and especially of course the one ring interior <laughs> art prize we want that one we want that one guys <laughs> anyway that's enough uh any's what else have we got on the world of gaming uh you you mentioned earlier you want there was something you wanted to talk about blade runner we, we, we oh, had, so we yes. had a little we had a little conversation where I I've just been I got my hard copy of Into the Odd through the door the other day and I haven't read it all yet but I was just flicking through it and there's a few things in there that I'd quite like to just call out actually but you then said oh yes I want to talk about Blade Runner so um should we should we go there first okay then uh, let's uh, talk about Blade Runner first of all and because uh, I haven't got Blade Runner I don't know what it looks like I don't know what the rules are like but I'm playing a game and it's a game run for our patrons by another one of our patrons who is bruce thoroughly enjoying it really enjoying it i am gonna put my cards on the table and say i'm not sure lots of elements are adding to making me feel immersed in the world of blade runner that includes the illustrations it includes the maps it includes the adventure itself it's not at the moment for me, including the mechanics. I'm okay. not getting, you know, just Alien, Alien has set the bar high because of that very simple stress mechanic that feels so much a part of the world. Yeah. And I'm not currently getting that with Blade Runner. So what's um, what's so remind, little caveat. remind me what's the what's the push mechanic in Blade Runner? Uh, the push mechanic is um, you uh, risk if you get any ones increasing your stress, but your stress are just countdown points on your character sheet. Right. Okay. You could also, I think, get physical injuries. So I, I think I um, 
I rolled a one on trying to shoulder a door down. So I am a role playing, you know, having a sore shoulder now. Right. And yeah. I've got, you know, one point less health. Um, uh, which is fine. Nothing wrong with it per se, but it's not yet feeling for me like this is inherent in, in the Blade Runner world. Of course you can say, you know, um, haggard, uh, old, cause I am old, uh, human, <laughs> um, Blade Runner in that world. You can, you can, you remember the crap that poor old uh, Harrison Ford went for when he was, um, having that final fight in the first yeah. movie. Yeah, I'm feeling a bit like that, but I'm not particularly feeling that I've been made like that by the by the rule book. Right, um, okay. I think there's lots of other things, not least of which, of course, is Bruce's excellent GMing. Um, so uh, there is an interesting, I tell you, the, the, the interesting mechanic, I think, although, again, I'm not really yet seeing how it's playing out, is very much you're keeping track of time. So, you know, you can do things. You have shifts in the way that Year Zero does. Yeah. And um, you, you can't work. Well, I can because I'm married to the job. I have a talent that lets me work four shifts without taking a break. Right, okay. But uh, everybody else is going to work three shifts without taking a break. Um, or three shifts and then have to And then have to break. take a break, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that that's nice. And you get a, you get a sense that... or that things are happening and um you know time is moving on while you're doing the investigating so this is the second time that bruce has run it and he you know he said we've spent longer playing through fewer shifts of time passing in the game but we've got more clues than the um the other group he played with at right. the equivalent time so yeah that, was, that gonna, was all very interesting that was going to be my next question about how it plays so the investigative side of it how how is that playing out and in terms of um uh, you know the game is is giving you as a gm the opportunity to be kind of handout heavy um how's that yes how's yes. that playing out there's there's a lot of handouts now we're playing online of course so yeah. uh, that's a lot of work for bruce and you know in uh, uh cutting them out of the pdf and presenting them and sharing them yeah we can then see them so um so there are a lot of handouts and i i think those handouts are really adding to the atmosphere of the game this is kind of what i mean about the mechanic you know the the heavy lifting here isn't being done by the mechanics of the game it's being done by the handouts by the peripherals yeah yeah um so uh I can see this being a thing that um, I kind of, I, I think I'm looking forward to a number of boxes that are a bit like the uh, the starter set and the Colonial Marines um, adventure. Right, that come with everything. You know, a box set that comes with lovely maps and handouts yeah. and stuff like that. And possibly only playing Blade Runner like that and not wanting to write my own adventures. Yeah, yeah, because that was always my my thought that actually go, mm. taking this approach, if you can't run it without that approach really well, then it is building up a huge overhead on the GM, particularly for writing your own scenario, but also for playing one of those where you need to understand what handouts to, to play out when. Yeah. And um, the other thing I say, I mean, I haven't played it yet. Um, the other thing I, I just wanted to question you on, um, the idea of splitting the party. 
So they, they, they include this as a definite thing you should do in the game to progress your investigations, um, I guess, more, more effectively. Have you had that in Bruce's games? Yeah, we definitely how, split the work? party. I, I, I threw myself into character, and given the other two are bloody reps, and I kind of hate reps, I uh, <laughs> just walked out of the office as soon as the briefing went off and get, went and did my own thing, and they, you know, they had to sort themselves out. Right. Um, and, and then since then, we kind of slightly swapped partners. So Mohammed and I uh, went off to the butterfly shop. Oh, I think we might have done something else. Oh, first of all, we went to the club where the murder had happened uh, while um, the other players, Frank, his character, Percival, went off um, to follow up on a lead, which I think, you know, we'd, we'd got a good lead there. We realised that uh, one of the Tyrell offspring was involved in the mystery. And he oh, went yeah. to her, and it's got a kind of a thing where um, you know, don't don't try rolling for clues. The you know the um, the players have got to say what they're doing or what are they asking, and um, and then they get the clues. So I didn't roll on observation to notice, for example, that there was a smashed mirror in the club. Yeah. No bullets had been found, but. Um, I you know I said I'm looking behind the mirror. Is there a bullet in the wall? And of course there was a bullet in the wall. Yeah. Um, so how was Frank? The... Yeah. So go on. Um, so I don't exactly know what clue it is Frank got, but but Bruce admitted that because Frank asked of the Tyrell offspring a particular question, he got a big clue uh, right. out out of that. Cool. Um, so that sounds good. So, yeah. Yes splitting the forces is definitely a good thing to do and i think but, you know, again, but in, ter- in terms of the f- in terms of the playing experience though how is it how how well is it handled in the game because obviously you know tradi- like- traditionally splitting the group is not a good idea because half the group sits around doing nothing whilst the other half does their scene but um how did, how has it worked well is i've it- been very tired in the evening so you know i can take a little nap while the others go and do a thing okay well it works for <laughs> you then because <laughs> you're because you're uh, an old uh, tired there, man. There, there, there isn't anything particularly magical, except I think for the imposition of shifts. So I think it means that you can't then, uh, if you're a particularly forceful player, you can't go off and solve the mystery while you've left all On the others own. behind. Yeah, because yeah. You, you know, at, at some point you've all got to come home to bed, at the very least. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a there's a nice thing in the, in the thing where depending on what you do in your off shift. You roll on a table and something happens, either at home or on the street, whatever you're doing with your, oh, with your okay. off shift. So, is this just um, something that's sort of story building, but unrelated to the investigation? And it can be unrelated. In my particular case, I um, Bruce chose to give me a, a clue. Right. Um, partly because I'd... Uh, so, in, in one of the venues, I'd gone in hard and pissed off the... Um, pissed off the, the the NPCs and so they weren't giving me a clue. Right. Cuz uh-huh. fair enough. Fucking rep shaggers bastards. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I went in a bit too anti rep for them and you know and they were therefore reluctant to help me. But I can't remember exactly what I rolled but it was kind of a you know I get a phone call and uh, Bruce played it that it was one of them then coming back to me and um and giving me a clue after all. Ah uh, okay. Right. Uh, and something happened. So I can't remember what Percival's was. Um, Mohammed's 
uh, well, he was on the street and something happened. And I think, again, Bruce, I think partly because, you know, we're on, we're on, we're on a time limit here. Yeah. So Bruce, again, connected that event with the mystery. So, that, right. you know, I think now we'd got another clue. But you could obviously then just draw out subplots and side side stories. As but it there were. could be, yeah, in, in a time. sort of campaign mode, that yeah. might be where that, that stuff appears. Yeah, okay. As that, I say, that, though. I quite I'm, like the idea of that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's all working fine. Um, uh, but yes, I'm not convinced that it's as easily coming out of the mechanics as as Adventure has done for a lot of the other free league games. Yeah, cool. So I've said my piece. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, no, really good. I am looking forward to getting it to the table at some point. Um, I'll probably wait unless I, you know, can, can get onto one of our our patron, you know, Discord games. Um, if I could find the time, I might wait till I get the actual think, book in my hands, and then. I think it. Frank said he was going to run it shortly, and he's done a lot of work um, putting it online. So. Um, oh yeah, cool, cool. So that might it might be worth uh, dropping him a line and seeing whether he's going to do it. And obviously, you know, Frank now having played through the scenario, will um, will kind of know a bit more about how it runs. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, nice. Okay, I'll look out for that. See if I can find time to uh, to join it. Yeah. Cool. Okay, tell me about Into the Odd. Um, well, I don't, you I don't said think... you wanted to talk particularly about the stuff at the back of the book, and I haven't read that yet. Well, there's a couple of things, actually, I wanted to mention, but it's it's not going to be a 15-minute dissertation like yours on Blade Runner was. Um, you kept so... asking bloody questions, Dave. <laughs> Damn, it's all my fault. Um, so uh, I got I got a hard copy through the post. Uh, the, the book itself is a, is a lovely-feeling little book, although the actual style of it isn't really my speed. So initially, I kind of... The, the, the cover, which is brilliantly done, but I say it's just... It's like... It, it's another quite um, uh, courageous use of art and design. And it definitely catches the eye. I think, I think some people will love it. Some people aren't going to like it so much. It didn't grab me. So it took me a few days before I... I put the book on the shelf and then you know, it took me a little while before I actually picked it up and looked at it at all. But there's a couple of things in it. I haven't read it in detail yet, so I, I can't really talk to you about how the game plays and the mechanics. But there was a couple of things in it that I just wanted to flag that I thought were, I really liked and actually made a good point about game design. One, which I can't find right now, was um, uh, there's a... Uh, uh, there's a number a of... shitty NP index. There's a number of NPCs... Um, and I can't remember whether they were um, specifically for something or not, but there was a list of them. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. The thing I want to say is that under the very short description of each NPC about you know what their abilities are and how many hit points they might have, it had a three or four word line about their motivation, and mm. and it was it was literally three or four words, maybe five at the most, and it might have been driven by ambition and greed. Or um, uh, poor, you know, low confidence with women, or that you know those kind yeah. of really simple things, and and I thought as a GM, that tells me enough about that NPC to be able to develop them, you know, off to role off play that. to exactly. role play that scene, yeah, and exactly, you, you don't yeah. you don't you don't need pages and pages of their backstory or their relationships and all the rest of it. I mean, you know, some people or even want... paragraphs and paragraphs. Yeah, I mean, some yeah. people might want a little bit more than three or four words, 
But it just really highlighted for me the power, if you do that well, the power of a very short sentence to empower an NPC um, and bring it to life was really good. And I thought they did it really well in Into the Odd. Chris McDowell has done a lovely job, actually, with that. I thought that was great. Um, I, I thought very much the same about Death in Space. In fact, I think I might have mentioned it when we were talking about Death in Space a few episodes ago. Mm. I, I love that in terms of scenario Yes, you design. did, yeah. And yeah. I, I want to copy it. And I think we should. So this, is, so this is a similar thing. Well, actually, I, I took that conversation in Death in Space as a little inspiration for some of the stuff I did for Tales of the Old West. Ah. Populating the town of Steaming Rock in the um, introductory mm. scenario. Um, I might actually go back and, and look at them again, see if I can reduce the length. I mean, they're only a paragraph each, a short paragraph each, but see whether I can reduce them more in line with to Chris's example in Into, Into the Odd. But also I took the idea of Death in Space where you were giving two or three different triggers about their motivation and their and their personality. Yeah. And I think that works really well. It's, you know, I think it's, um, it, it's a great idea, yeah. The other yeah. thing I wanted to mention cool. was at the, back, at the back of the book... There are a number of tables, um, and it's a bit like the. Um, it's very reminiscent of the uh, sort of legend generators and the encounter generators in Forbidden Lands. Very similar kind of feel. Um, the chapter is called the Odd Pendium. Funnily enough, um, <laughs> not so sure. I'm, you know, I think that's a great play on words, but you know, the actual section itself is really good, and so it, it gives you a bunch of tables, which. I mean, it's about how many pages of it? Twenty more, more than I'm. I'm at twenty-five now. Um, so about twenty or twenty-five pages of tables that will give you, okay, the names of your cast of thousands. So you roll d hundred twice, and that gives you the character name, occupation, capability. And I'm not sure capability is the right word, but it includes things like it's a it's a, like a character hook. Things like. Anal retentive is the first one. Um, <laughs> boringly dependable, um, silently dutiful. So again, it just gives you a little, a little hint, and then it goes on to things like what their manners are, what their connections are, what happened to them, um, and it goes on like that. And you could very quickly, with a number, of, a few dice rolls, build up. Actually, a really quite powerful, power, well, powerful one word, quite thoroughly. Um, uh, thoroughly backgrounded is not the right way of putting it, but somebody who's suddenly got quite a thorough and deep background history, not just for them and their name and their connections and what they're like, but also perhaps for where they live or where they come from or where you find them. And I just thought that was really good. I, I like it very much. And he's gone all in. Chris McDowell has gone all in in about, as I said, about 25 pages of these kind of tables, which I, it just struck me when I was looking through it the other day. I thought, actually, that's really good. I like that very much. Um, yeah, and it's made me more interested to dive into into the odd and have a really good read of it, and and and, and uh, you know maybe maybe give it a run at some point. But yeah, that's mm. what I wanted to say about into the odd. No, no, that yeah, that <sighs> there is a lesson to be learned in brevity from a lot of those games. So um, just you see. I knew you wouldn't particularly like the uh, the artwork and stuff, but there is a certain feel on this book that I'd kind of almost like to replicate for um, for Tales of the Old West. And I know you probably wouldn't. And uh, mm -hmm. I'm also concerned about um, 
the size of it given the number of words that we have so far written and uh, the number of pages it's taking without much in the way of illustration already. So, um, uh, so two things, one of which is I think we need to probably have a larger format than this one, but the yeah, other one is um, it's a lesson in writing with brevity, this and death in space, you know, and being able to capture that world with so few words, um, which is kind of what you said about NPCs, but yeah. Yeah, I, th I think, I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think there is, I think for the the, I think for both of them, and I think oh, this also for me applies to Merc Boyer. There is there is a point where it could be too brief, and mm. so I I think that for me possibly these are just too far down the scale of of brevity of increased brevity, but like you say, I think it is a really good reminder to. Yeah, you know, make sure that every word you're putting into your your game or your your book is there for a reason, and yeah. you're not you're not just filling it with guff. Um, no. I do, and in I, terms of uh, you know something else, we started this whole podcast based on Coriolis, and Coriolis isn't brief by any stretch of the imagination. But again, no. almost every single I was going to say sentence, but I think actually uh, every every part of every sentence, every clause is almost an adventure hook in its own right. So mm -hmm. there again, every word counts. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's a good reminder to do that and focus on that. Mm. I do remember I was reading a book um, by Stephen King about advice to about how to write well. And one of the things that really st stuck in my mind was... Um, the advice that when you finished your manuscript, go through it and take out ten percent of the words. Just do it. Just take out ten percent because it won't because it won't suffer. It'll be a better book. Every tenth through. word. Shall we just yeah. go through our manuscript and just run <laughs> and see? How Not it... exactly as as mandrolic as that, but um, you know, basically, basically, say that even if you've written tightly, your book would be too fat by ten percent at least. Yeah. So yeah. take it out, and it'll it'll be a better product as a result. So I just need to keep that yeah. in mind. Cool. Or maybe we give that brief to an editor and pay them to do it. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. At least pay them to tell us what they think should come out. Yeah. And okay, right. But... Shall we move on to our interview? Because we've been going already for over half an hour. And this is quite a long interview, actually, um, with, uh, with Gabe, Gabriel. I think. Yeah. I think it's going to be... Probably another 35 minutes of listening. So here we are in the Hammam yet again. Uh, this time we are, uh, we are, well, I guess you're a player, aren't you, Gabe? But you're also a creator. So we have a creator in the Hammam. It's Gabriel Garcia from Firelock Games, a very good friend of mine who I've had the great joy of working with over this last year or two on the game we want to talk to you about today Gabe. So, so, so kind and generous so kind and generous very nice of you to say Dave thank you for having me on the show guys. it's great to have you on mate great to have you on um so as with our tradition we always like to ask new guests um a little bit about their life in gaming so if you could just give us a sort of a potted history of your life in gaming what got you into gaming and and how you ended up where you are today well sure yeah I think that uh I think you probably have to go back to Maybe the very early 80s, uh, things like uh, uh, Dark Tower and uh, 
you know, little games that, that weren't quite role-playing games, but weren't quite Monopoly anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I had some friends in middle school that started talking about Dungeons and Dragons. And I didn't know what that was. And I didn't really have the, the, the close enough friendship with those guys to, to join in their group until a couple of years later. But, but uh, you know, you always were curious about it. You always ran into some games here and there and in places that, that sold some obscure stuff and you saw the miniatures and whatnot. And uh, eventually I got into it by the time I was in high school, I was uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons uh, probably every week or maybe every couple of weeks and uh, into college. And, and, and by that time I expanded into some war games from Avalon Hill and I couldn't really afford the miniatures stuff until later in college. And, and by that time I did some space Hulk and GW stuff and, from there, went on to all the other companies and board games, miniatures games, card games, dice games, you know, all the games that you I have. a I have a converted garage, the largest room in my house. And I've been uh, I've, I've been I've been lucky enough uh, with my wife saying that's OK. That could be your game room. So I've scored <laughs> I've scored the man cave of, of wonders and uh, pretty pleased about that. <laughs> No, cool, cool. So, um, how did you end up? <clears throat> uh, how did you end up working with Al and um, and Firelock? Well, the story with Al and Firelock. Well, I guess you'd have to go further before Firelock. Uh, just uh, my friendship with Al and and his buddy Hector, who's our mutual friend as well. Uh, those guys uh, were at a convention in Miami and a gaming convention, and I walked by a setup of Space Hulk. And I looked so good. Everything was painted mm-hmm. and I'd never seen anything as big because they had like three boxes put together. And, and as I walked by, they, they saw that I was interested and they invited me to play. Uh, I find out later, years later, in fact, fairly recently, that that, that game wasn't even theirs. They were just sort of <laughs> standing there and they knew how to play. And somehow they just took over the table. At any rate... That was back, man, I tell you, that might have been in 89 or 88. Um, and I never saw them again for a decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never saw those guys again. Then we were at a, at a gaming store, and then there they are. And I kind of seemed to recognize them. They recognized me. And I, they said, were you at such and such a place 10 years ago at the University of Miami? I said, yeah. Were you guys the ones who showed me Space Hulk? And so we became acquaintances. Then years later, we kind of. I'm talking about maybe 2005, 2007, we became better friends. And so it was a weird thing that was over and across a long period of time mm-hmm. uh, that, that just kind of kept Alex in my life uh, mm-hmm. and fortuitously so, because then, you know, he starts Firelock and by that time I'm, you know, I'm close friends with him. I'm excited for him and I see the success of Blood and Plunder and, 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 and I play tested a few things for them and, and helped them out with that. I did a little more help with Oak and Iron. And then at, he knew that I was into, you know, writing. Uh, I've been, I was writing some freelance stuff for Cubicle 7 mm-hmm. um, cool. and their Lord of the Rings stuff. Uh, I wrote a oh, part no. from their Erebor book, actually. Mm. Um, and, then, and then he just proposed to me after a pandemic-induced... Uh, uh, viewing of uh, of uh, HBO's Band of Brothers, uh, mm-hmm. he said, you know, there's never been a historical World War II game. I said, well, I mean, there, you know, you could probably look back and and, and see some D20 stuff that that 
that that that's been made and certainly certainly there's been some weird wars and some uh yeah. dust tactics and all that but you know generally generally they've bordered on the zombies and the magic and and they've done a few that that have been historical but those are nothing recent and he said why don't we do it and i want you to write it and i said okay Sounds good. I mean, I'm a I'm an American history teacher, and I teach it every year, day in day out, and it sounds like a pretty neat idea. So that's what what got me into it. That's really cool. Uh, you forgot to mention uh, the best World War Two weird World War Two game, which is Godlike, the uh, superhero World War. II oh yeah, game, which is yeah, actually yeah, yeah. kind of gritty and realistic. Actually, more sure. more gritty and realistic than you expect a superhero game to be. But lovely. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's a set in that era and. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a few out there, and 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 of course, uh, uh, you know, the, you combine them with the miniatures that are out there, and you can you can do all kinds of fun stuff with World War II, and and I think that 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 almost begs an audience to mm-hmm. to to break out their bolt action or their dust and all that stuff yeah. just to to play around with it. Cool. Um, you're not doing anything else for the new edition of the One Ring. Uh, you haven't been approached by Free League yet. No, no, I have not. I have not. Um, <laughs> I think that it was a very, very brief moment. I, I kind of did that for the one ring and uh, they actually had some material of mine that they never ended ended up using just some small. Um, what was it? It was uh, sort of uh, lists of of characteristics that you can tie into a character uh, maybe talents. I forgot what they phrased it in the in the One Ring, but but they asked me to basically go through uh, the Tolkien texts and to, to try to pull out adjectives that are that that could be tied into character descriptions. Mm. And I I made a giant list. I mean, it was huge. That's and, a job and, and a half. That is. <laughs> it was. It was work. It was serious work. But I, I did it, and and I don't know that they ever used it. I've never I've never been told that they did. And then by mm. that time, they they switched over, and um, you know the, the the licenses went went to different locations. But uh, mm. but yeah, that was that was about the only other thing really. Cool. We'll have to put in a word with our with our friends at Free League. See if we can get <laughs> <game> some more. <laughs> could happen. Could happen. Those guys are great. I love Free League. I, I own everything they've got except for the the what is the the the, the black and yellow more 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 boy yeah yeah that's the only thing I don't own. I don't know. I I, I haven't been swayed by the by the graphics and the and the art pr- representation, kind of what the, the feel of it. But I got everything else, so that's got to count for <laughs> something. Well, uh, this is uh, this is possibly an item for um, for our world of gaming slot, Dave. But I can announce that there is now a plain text version of Mork Boy available on Itchio. Um, yeah, so yeah, I you, saw that. Yeah, nice. If you want to look at that, and it's by Johan Noor, so it's. Um, it's by the graphic designer, but it's taken all of his graphic design out, which uh, <laughs> oh, <so> just, he, <laughs> just the text, just the text. You, uh, it's just you, for me. It's you, just for me. You hate the graphic design so much, you can just get the text. <laughs> I, I've, ne- I've never played it. I, I, I've got it, and I, I took it on a holiday last year, and I was on a cruise, and I was, I was reading it around the pool, and obviously <laughs> a cruise. You can Great imagine ambience, the kind kind of the clientele and none of them were reading anything similar. And the looks I got as though people walked past looking at the book were just like, I can tell you about it if you like, but I'm not sure you're interested. Graphic. Love it. Love it. Uh, 
Brilliant. So um, coming back to war stories, though. So Gabe asks you, no, no you are Gabe. So Al asks you <laughs> to uh, to write a full game. Where do you start? Was, for a start, was the Year Zero system on uh, the, the, the system of choice right from the beginning? Or did you look at other things? Did you think about creating your own system? Initially, initially, he told me in November and then... I, I, I'm the type of person that just starts fast and, and just plows through as, as fast as I can. I, I, I'm not a procrastinator. So I started in the very you know week that he told me, you know, hey, why don't you start doing this? And, and I started. And so initially I had just an idea for my own system. I kind of started to put together. Um, you know, ideas from, of my own. I, I kind of bounced off some ideas with a, a guy named uh, Tim Korolewski because he was putting together at the time uh, a pirate-themed RPG uh, that is actually still being worked on and I think is nearly completed as well for Firelock. And I said, well, if we're going to do something for Firelock, then it should probably have some similarities because it's under the same umbrella. So let me talk to Tim. And so I got some ideas from him and I started putting stuff together and I put down probably about 20, 25 pages of preliminary notes. And in December, by that time it was December and Alf found out, she just, looked it up and he found out that the year zero engine is is lot is something you can like you know you can use it's, it's yeah. open, free, open free. source right yeah. so it's an open gaming source and 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 so he calls me up and he says stop stop the presses stop the presses we're gonna go to year zero i think this is a better system I, he's enamored by it because of the fact that i ran a, an aliens rpg uh for him and our and our group of friends and it was hands down one of, probably the best thing I've ever done as a GM, mm-hmm. and 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 I think it was among the first times that he had been in a in a group where I GM'd, and and then now now I have to live up to that because he thinks <laughs> he thinks that I'm the best GM out there, and I'm far from the best <laughs> GM. Every time he's like, "No, you're golden. You can." His latest crack is that I can make a the 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 phone book uh, a great uh, source of uh, of a story and a GM <laughs> adventure. Um, but anyway, uh, he tells me to switch it over. I get a little frustrated, but I, I, I happily agree that that doing something that's already established uh, is in the long run going to be a lot easier for me and it's going to be a lot more appealing to a, a larger audience than, than the garbage that I probably would have come up with. So, <laughs> so, so we switched it over and, and, and in answer to your original question, how do I go about it? I'll tell you, you just open a year zero book and first of all, you're inspired by what they've done. And secondly, it's just, formatted in such a way that that it just makes sense you know you start off with an introduction you got character creation you got skills specializations and talents and then you go straight to combat and 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 wounds and 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 damage and and so that it just lent itself to 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 being used in the very same format in the same way brilliant and um so yeah you had experience with the alien system you'd been running it um now I happen to know, having having told you, I knew nothing about this. I happen to know that this was happening around the same time that Twilight Two Thousand was coming out. Yep. And obviously, Twilight Two Thousand is a far more militaristic version of the Year Zero system. 
and actually mm-hmm. moves away a bit from dice from the d6 dice pool that's been the staple of all the others moves into mm-hmm. a, still a kind of dice pool but one where you roll a, a couple of multi-sided dice and maybe some d6 uh were you tempted to go down that route absolutely i i, I looked at it initially and i said well if this is a military year zero well then if we're doing world war ii then then we should look carefully at what they're doing and uh by that time i was already working alongside dave and 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 you know we we bounced the idea back and forth and and uh dave brilliantly said you know i don't know i think we should stick with what what we know works and and the d6 system that you know that that initially started the whole year zero engine and um I, you know, I, I didn't persist, but I kept it in the back of my head for a little while. And, and ultimately, I thought about it and I said, there's really, at least for World War II, there's no real reason to, to deviate from, from the D6s. Um, I've already chosen, I had, I had by that time already chosen to incorporate the one, the one little facet of my own uh, devising back in November uh, that deviated from the Year Zero engine which was the D10 damage roll, which we can get into oh. if you like. But uh, it's a, it, 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 it was enough of a departure that I think it got Dave into saying, we've already done a departure. Let's stick to the base of the year zero and keep the D6s. Um, and, and, and you've already kind of, kind of made it your own with, with the D10 damage die. So. I think I always felt that you didn't need to change the core year zero system to make a good military game. Right. It, kind of, it kind of felt that Free League thought that they did in why they then changed mm. changed the, uh, the dice mechanic for, for Twilight 2000. That might not have been the case. They might have just felt it was the right time to tweak the dice mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd always thought that the Year Zero engine would, could, work, could work really well for a, a gritty militarist sure. side sure. game. I, I, and it's interesting that they've kept the, the multi, multifaceted dice for Blade Runner. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so you kind of wonder, you know, what direction they're heading in terms of the system and the mechanics themselves. Mm. Um, and, and, and I thought, I thought initially that they were kind of trying to maybe uh, win over the old Twilight 2000 fans with the multifaceted dice. I don't know. I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I think that's fairly minor uh, to, 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 to have done it for that reason. But, um, you know, from the, from the, from the feel of the fans, it seems like it's still a, a fun system to play. I've yet to play it. I own it. I've read through the rules and whatnot, but I've actually yet to play Twilight 2000. Same here, yes. actually. Same here. <laughs> uh, when it was coming out, we did play old version Twilight 2000 with our um, old friend, Andy. And we always had a plan to do new version, but then Ukraine happened and, we kind of all lost right. interest a bit in that. Um, sure, sure, sure. Uh, yep, so, makes sense. Um, so tell me then, you, you, you've teased it already. <laughs> what is the D10 damage? Dice? So the way the way that 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 I kind of uh, I've, I've played, like I said, I've played Aliens, I've played uh, Tales from the Loop, uh, I've played uh, Year Zero, um, and you know, you roll the multiple dot, you multiple d sixes, and generally, although each system is different from 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 game to game, but generally speaking, the number of successes you have ends up equating the number of damage points that the target receives. Yeah. And so, if you only scored one success, then then you're not going to kill anybody unless somebody's down to their last 
you know, hit point or whatever it is that they use for health. Mm-hmm. And, and, and while that's fine for a lot of fantasy based stuff and some stuff that, that, that will occasionally uh, be useful in sci-fi perhaps um, it did not for me create a system that represented the lethality of World War II. Mm-hmm. I think that if World War II, if we can come away with anything that that we can know uh, from just reading books or, or, or watching movies or, or studying history, uh, anything could have killed uh, anybody that was participating in that terrible war. And I think that if we wanted to capture that sort of grittiness, I needed to see something that you walked into a combat and you had to be afraid of practically every single shot that came your way. And it had to be something where you, you, you worried about the one bullet, the singular hit that could kill you. Even if you have never been wounded prior to Mm -hmm. that particular role. Uh, And I think that, that in most systems, and I'm not just seeing singling out your zero i mean you could do D, you can do anything i think that if you're at, at full maximum health a one-shot kill is pretty impossible for player mm-hmm. characters almost impossible anyway um and I, and I and i wanted to come up with a system that at least entertained that idea and so the way i did it is uh anytime you hit you you your your hits your number of successes are not um uh, tied to the number of wounds that you inflict. Instead, uh, you roll a separate D10, and the D10 will determine how many wounds you have. And by separating those two, uh, even a one success roll uh, could end up rolling really high on the D10 mm-hmm. and do your character in. Um, I, you know, I also enjoyed the the critical hit charts of the old Warhammer fantasy. Yeah. Uh, where you rolled separately. And I think that, that that was also the case in Twilight 2000. And so one of the things that I, I wanted to incorporate was a chart like that that, that led to the possibility of insta-death. Mm-hmm. And so the D10 die could, could trigger a roll on that chart if the result on the D10 is a 10 or greater. And you might wonder, what do you mean greater? There's only 10 on a D10. Well, there's <laughs> modifiers that we call adjustments, actually. Uh, and the adjustments are pluses depending on the weapon that hits you. Right. And so not all weapons are the same. If you get hit by uh, you know, a large caliber round versus uh, somebody's punch in the face, uh, the punch is going to have minuses to the D10, and the large caliber rounds will have pluses. So you have a greater chance of scoring that 10 and perhaps getting a critical injury as a result. So I think that's in a nutshell. That's kind of what Mm -hmm. I was going for on the D10. And I think it it proves a lethal Mm -hmm. system that isn't always going to be lethal. So you're not going to be dying in every mission, but there's a chance. There sure is. And and conversely, it also means if you get lots of successes, you might get lucky on the dice roll, on the damage roll, and a shot that should have killed you only nicks you. Mm. Correct. So it Correct. can go both ways. Yeah. Correct. Although to to be complete in our description, the extra successes on your on your attack roll could actually translate to pluses on your mm. D10 roll as well. Nice. So if you roll four successes, well, that's great. The first one gets you the T10, and the extra three are going to be plus three in addition to whatever the weapon itself is going to grant you. So it sounds like it could be quite lethal, which is fine for the setting. But mm-hmm. in terms of role-playing games, um, 
if every I mean, you know, a- aliens also quite lethal, but the idea is that really most people are playing a one-shot adventure um, and die- you can still win when you die. How do you deal with the sort of lethality? Um, you know, <clears throat> plays it in a lovely campaign, I'm told. He says it's lovely anyway. <laughs> I, I, I kind of... um, I'm not sure they- lovely is the right word. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's, uh, shall we say attractive? Shall we say uh, alluring? Interesting. Uh, <laughs> an interesting Cap- campaign. Captivating. Thrilling. Captivating. 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 Yeah. <laughs> um, so, days in this campaign, uh, how do you, how do you um, how do you manage to get maybe a single player character all the way through it? Right. Well, that's a great question. I, I think first of all, you, you nailed it on the head when. You mentioned the Aliens cinematic uh, mode where it's basically one shots. Uh, This game, War Stories, can also be used in the very, very same way. Uh, It could have a cinematic one. We don't really call it a cinematic one shot, but the idea is is that you can absolutely create scenarios where they are one shots, depending on how severe the particular scenario presents the, the narrative. Uh, on the other hand, of course, the idea is also, and in fact, with the campaign book, uh, Rendezvous with Destiny, the idea is that you're going to carry your character from mission to mission. In that in that campaign book, there'll be seven missions. And, and so uh, how do you have your character survive? Well, uh, you play smart, first of all. It forces <laughs> you to kind of start to really, really think about the longevity of your character and, and playing smart. And I think that's part of the, the sorts of uh, themes that we want to kind of push for for war stories that it's not you know you're gonna you're not gonna be you know dungeon crawling and you know opening the door killing a monster grabbing treasure is a very different game so first of all you have to accept that the game's themes are going to be different altogether in comparison with other RPGs that you may be, may have played. That said, there is the inevitability of character death. I mean, there's going to be characters that won't survive. Um, and the, re- the, the way we've kind of accommodated for that uh, kind of goes hand in hand with how we accommodate for larger uh, groups. Like, for example, if we're playing in a, a, a military unit within a company, which might have many more, many more characters. Uh, We've created the so-called background characters, the BC. So these background characters are going to uh, kind of be, as the word implies, in the backstory, sort of the background. So you're not really seeing them. They're not in the highlighted parts of the of the of the storyline or the narrative, uh, and the GM mostly controls those those background characters. But the players themselves have a role in creating them. There, we encourage that the group kind of gets together and create a number of background characters, and those background characters will be statted up, and they're essentially NPCs that the players have some access to. And by so doing, they become familiar enough with those characters so that if any of the main characters die, one of those background characters can be elevated or promoted, as it were, Mm. to a main player character that now is no longer a BC. And I think that 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 kind of allows the narrative to continue while at the same time sort of uh, entertaining the idea of a broader group of, of, of uh, individuals that make up a larger military unit. Uh, and even if it doesn't work in the military because you wanted to play, you know, a, a partisan group in the French resistance, there could be background characters that are part of the resistance on a oh, larger yeah. scale yeah. as well. So so all of that seemed, kind of seemed to work pretty well. We did also create the 
uh, added uh, bonus of what we call lucky strikes for player mm-hmm. characters. So these lucky strikes are basically your, your currency for trying to, uh, in some cases, avoid death or in other cases, uh, improve your, your your chances of success. And there's a plethora of, uh, of menu items sort of that you can purchase with your lucky strikes. And uh, among them, it could be a re-roll on that critical chart that just blew your head off. So it, it might be a lucky reroll that drops it down to you know a much a much less lethal uh, result, and uh, and so therefore I've always encouraged every one of my playtesters to keep a lucky strike handy, and don't waste all of them. You can only ever have two because nobody was ever so lucky in a war, uh, and 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 so and so those things can kind of mitigate some bad luck. Right. Tell me about your two lucky strikes. Does every player character get one get two when they start do they earn them when you start you get one Mm -hmm. and you earn them with extra successes on any rolls so if 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 you have to pick and choose what you want to do with your extra successes if you recalled a moment ago i said you can add to your damage die yeah or you can get an extra lucky strike Cool. And, so, much- and so you kind of have to pick and choose. Do I want to be offensive here? Do I need the, dot, the lucky strike because I'm out of them and I really need one just in case? That sort of thing. How many mm-hmm. extra successes does a lucky lucky strike cost? One. Oh, just one? Cool. Oh, just one, right. but you can only but you ever can only really have, have two at the same two time. At a time. Yeah. So uh, that, that, that would be it. And if you're out, somebody could, could, could give you one of their lucky strikes, but it has to be narrated into the story as to mm. how they're able to help you. So uh, somehow you know, the guy might say, look out incoming. And then, you know, gives you your lucky strike and then you get to reroll the damage or whatever it is. Mm. Well, this also, this is beginning to open up another question of mine, um, which is about that narration and adventure and role playing. Again, we, we, we've discussed Twilight 2000. We've all got Twilight 2000. We've all opened up. It was quite a thrill to find kind of GW, uh, GDW-style cardboard counters in there and, and maps, and it's the first time that, um, that Free League has moved from really quite theatre-of-the-mind zone-style uh, movement to more precise movement. Um so I've got a question about that precise movement, but that's really a boring question. So the real <laughs> question is... Just like all your questions, Matthew. <laughs> uh, yeah, nobody saw that. <laughs> so the question is, how do you stop this becoming a kind of... Even if you're not using miniatures, how do you stop it becoming a kind of miniatures war game, a, a tactical squad level war game? Sure. Yeah. I mean, in the end, I mean, well, first of all, you got to have to kind of say that uh, whatever format or whatever sort of uh, uh, theme that uh, the group wants to play, I mean, that's what that's what's going to make them happy. That's what they're going to enjoy. If it's going to be combat heavy, uh, then then I can certainly see them breaking out the bolt action stuff and it becomes uh, almost a role playing game that 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 uses miniatures exclusively and and in our playtest we've done both we've done with and without miniatures and and there is a section in the in the book that covers you know suggestions on how to use miniatures uh but i, I hasten to to add that it 
it is not a miniatures game simply because you can't account for all of the miniatures that may be on a battle. Mm. Uh, certainly a battle is going to incorporate upwards of, you know, 20, 30, 40, 100, f- hundreds of soldiers. And number one, you're not going to break out all those miniatures, generally speaking. And number two, that wouldn't even be fun. So, mm. so, so at least in my book. So, so the reality is, is that insofar as you have battle scenes, the player characters and the areas in which they're operating become sort of the focus of the GM and the effort of the GM should be to, if they're going to use miniatures to sort of just make it part of uh, their, their plan to, to only cover the action where the player characters are rather than, than, you know, everywhere else and, and everywhere else is sort of narrated as a sort of backdrop to what would be a movie. For instance, you kind of hear the explosions and, and smell the smoke or something like that. Uh, but for those players that aren't going to be focused on, you know, combat as much, uh, I think that the question is, is, is can you make this a, re- a legit role-playing game rather than simply having it, you know, become a combat combat-heavy game? Uh, and I think that that ultimately has to do with the published scenarios and any individual group's efforts at making their own scenarios. And I think that, uh, for instance, without ma- having any spoilers, uh, Rendezvous with Destiny has some pretty cool background storylines that are not really combat related and that have to do more with uh, relationships between officers uh, leading, you know, the p- particular sections of, 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 of the groups that the, that the player characters find themselves in. And also, you know, maybe some of the personalities of the enemies as well. And those things are more in line with what role playing should be uh, that not necessarily is everything going to be a big giant battle or a battle scene. Um, in some of the ones that I've written, I've tried to incorporate some investigation that players have to do and some discoveries that they have to make uh, that, that aren't necessarily combat related. And so I think that it's on the, the onus is on the GM to create that sort of setting that the players are all interested in playing, be it heavy combat or heavy art role playing or maybe a combination of the two. Cool. That's most of my questions, Dave. I've only got the boring one left, and you've accused me of doing boring <laughs> questions, so I'm not even going to ask that one. Have you got so, any more? I mean, so, given that you know everything about this game already, because uh, yeah, I'm, I, it's quite nice just sitting here listening to Gabe describe it all because he describes it so well. He does. He's, it's, uh, he's a great answer. Very, very, very good. Thanks. Um, Thanks. The only thing, the only thing I would say is just to to counterpoint the the lucky strike. We also have a um, uh, a mechanic called Fubar. Don't we get? Oh, you want to say a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the Fubar is the counterpoint to the Lucky Strike. It is sort of the Lucky Strike for the GM. And uh, so, in a lot of the Year Zero games, in fact, all of the Year Zero games, there's a drawback to pushing your roll, which is to roll once. For those of you who are listening that may, might not be as familiar with Year Zero, so you get to push your 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 rolls, which is to say, oh, I didn't get any successes, or I wish I would have had two or three. I only got one. You can re-roll a roll. However, when you do that, when you've pushed your luck, in, in War Stories it's called Push Your Luck, uh, any ones that you roll, either on the new roll or on the previous roll, uh, generate something bad in most Year Zero games. And in War Stories, it generates a FUBAR, 
uh, for the GM. Uh, the GM will 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 put a token, uh, maybe a coin, maybe a uh, I don't know, an M M&M, and M, uh, and put it on put it on your character sheet. Uh, you will not be able to eat the M M&M, and M, but the, the your character your character will now have a foobar on on his or her character sheet, and that means that the GM could spend that foobar point to maybe do something that you're not too happy about. Uh, perhaps there's a mishap with a weapon that you fire and you know there's you, you, you damaged your weapon or you dropped it or something to that effect. Fubars can be spent uh, to re-roll damage rolls. So for instance, the, the, the GM might, uh, might use a foobar, maybe not to damage, say maybe, maybe to push uh, uh, an NPC's role. NPCs normally don't push roles, but if a GM spends a foobar, they'll re-roll misses or, you know, mm. re-roll those uh, attack dice that failed, failed to hit you. So generally you don't want to have foobars on you. Like Lucky Strikes, you can only ever have two foobars on your character. Uh, any additional ones that are generated, the GM gets to keep in just a pool of foobar that he could use or she could use for any uh, character or player uh, uh, in the party. So they're not good. They're not good to have at all. <laughs> cool. Cool. I like that. Um, you've already answered the next question I had about foobars, so I'm, I, won't, <laughs> I won't ask that one. Um, I, okay, so uh, this has been great. It's been really informative. We're coming to the clo- end of the interview, but first of all, Gabe, what's next? Ah, well, mm-hmm. right now, as we speak, I have done some uh, finishing touches on the quick start of War Stories. Uh, the quick start is going to be a far, far more condensed uh, version of the rules. Uh, I've managed to get it somehow, some way to one quarter. Is it one quarter? Less than I think about a fifth of the length mm-hmm. of the book. Um, and and it, it doesn't have all the rules. It's a quick start that has just the bare, bare, bare minimum to get a taste of the game. And it will also have an introductory adventure and pre-generated characters. And as I understand it, this is going to be a, a free downloadable PDF that will be available uh, quite soon. I'm not exactly sure what the date it will be, but it will be a way for people to get a, an idea as to as to what the larger book is going to encompass and entail. And uh, and I think it's to get everybody excited. So so that that is the most immediate next that I can that I can predict. Um, I know that there are uh, theaters of war that we're going to uh, explore. And I believe, although it's unofficial, but I believe that the conversation is the Pacific theater uh, mm-hmm. might might be next. Uh, but I think before that. There is also a very good possibility that we might have part two of the Rendezvous with Destiny campaign. Uh, but Dave might be able to talk more about that. I don't know. I'm not sure how soon. Hey, he that probably talked be. about that last time. So uh, I'm not going <laughs> to let him talk this time. So, well, I've been given just to summarize if somebody didn't listen last time, I, I have been given the green light to do part two, which is going to be uh, the, the next chapter in the story of the 101st, which nice. is going to be Holland. The Netherlands and Market Garden. Market mm-hmm. Garden, here we come. Yeah, indeed. Excellent. There it is. A, a there bridge, it is. That's exciting. A bridge too, a bridge too that, far. 
that's Rich that's a lot of what's next for war stories are you working on anything else are you are you doing anything for uh, the, the the pirate game or um writing anything oh for, man do i announce do i say this here i Listen, I had. Before, of course you do, because we don't. We've got hardly any listeners. Nobody's going to hear. <laughs> it's just between us. Al won't mind if you say something too early and we release it. It's fine. I'm sure. Well, I have been. I have been working for for uh, a while before War Stories actually uh, on a skirmish miniatures game. It's not an oh. RPG, but it's a skirmish miniatures game. And uh, we don't have a definitive title yet. We've been playing with a bunch of different titles, uh, but 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 the theme of the miniature scheme is is a, a theme that I think uh, hasn't really been uh, explored very often at all, which is what would, what would appeal to me. And the idea also is quite fantastical, but historical. Uh, mm -hmm. It is a prehistoric miniature scheme where factions will include. Uh, Cro-Magnum, Homo uh -huh. sapiens, uh, Neanderthals. And in the initial set, uh, it will be added to with uh, dire wolves and saber-toothed cats <laughs> so that you can actually play a faction of saber-toothed cats or dire wolves. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I think that there's so much, so much fantasy, so seemingly fantasy when you're dealing with woolly mammoths and, and 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 cave bears and and giant you know uh, hyenas and whatnot and there's so much that that can be done with that sort of period that a lot of people don't recognize that you know some of these living things that are no longer around were 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 coexisting mm -hmm. and 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 I think that uh, it's 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 begging to be made and so I, I've I've made the rules I've play tested we've had a mm -hmm. real fun time. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, there are some miniatures lines out there that are that are awesome, and, and we've enjoyed <laughs> using those as well. And I think that at one point or another, I will twist Alex's arm, and uh, that will come out. I don't think it will be called Blood and Stone. Though that was the word. That, <laughs> that was the word title for a while. But I think that that would insinuate that the rules are quite similar to Blood and Plunder and Blood yeah. and Steel, and and they're not. They're not similar at all. Right. So yeah. so we don't want to mislead anybody. So I think we're <clears throat> shying away from Blood and Stone, um, and we'll try different different titles. But but that's 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 what I'm really psyched about as well. I mean, I'm excited about War Stories, but um, I like miniatures games also, and I I think that that one is. Uh, is a uh, is a cool one to that's, look forward to. Yeah, that's yeah, very exciting. Really that one. And it's okay because you haven't announced it. If you haven't got a name, although I suggest <laughs> Bone and Stone would be my uh... Bone and Stone. <laughs> that sounds faintly <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> well, of course, it's me, Dave. It's me. Bone and Stone. I don't know. We'll have to. We'll have to look it up and see if there are uh, you yeah. know, any other ambigu ambiguous uh, connotations <laughs> to that uh, <laughs> in the uh, Urban Dictionary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Um, yeah. And now, uh, where can people find you? Uh, I know you've been really helpful to one of our patrons, Bruce, that is planning oh, on yes. yep. running um, uh, 
uh, and you've been communicating, I'm guessing, via via Facebook. Is yeah, Facebook, Facebook where people can ask you questions, or where, where else do you hang out? Yeah, I think Facebook's the way to go. I'm not an Instagram guy. I'm not. I'm just old school. So, and and as old school as it gets, I guess Facebook nowadays would be old school. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm, a, I'm a I'm a school teacher, and they all laugh at me. They say, you use Facebook? You're such a dad. You're such a dad. I go, no, 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 no. I'm an adult. <laughs> I'm an adult. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh but yeah facebook is fine cool excellent we'll uh we'll try and put a link to your profile or something i don't know how that works right. with facebook in the show notes anyway because we always say and we'll we can a link point, in the show notes we can point to the war stories page as well yeah so. yeah 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 i'm always on there trying to answer as many questions as uh, are fielded brilliant. brilliant is there anything else you want to say to our listeners um i think uh keep a lookout for the quick start and i think that uh have a look at firelock uh, games because uh mm. for this month uh the bundle is a great deal i mean the bundle when you're talking about uh a 200 bundle down to 160 bucks that's mm. that's 40 bucks it's a significant savings uh in u.s dollars and and uh, i think that it's a good time as any to to jump into it uh on account of that so uh, have a look at firelockgames.com and uh, and I'm and, and, uh, looking forward to everybody uh, uh, getting their hands on this. Well, that's brilliant. Cool. Thank you very much, Gabe. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you, mate. It's been uh, a, the show. It's been great having you on. Well, that was brilliant. Um, I don't think there's anything we can add to that, really, because he answered all our questions really well. Yeah, I know. It was brilliant. Um, I wish I was as eloquent as Gabe. He's uh, And... And yeah. also, of course, you know about the project as well. We've been talking about it. So it's not like we could go, hmm, I wonder if, because we probably know <laughs> no, the answer. Exactly. There's nothing else to wonder. It, it did feel a bit odd. Just, I, mean, I decided I just wasn't going to say anything and let you ask questions of Gabriel. Um, well, specifically, just... that's why I said to you that you should introduce him, because yeah, I thought, yeah. um, actually, you're going to run out of questions because you know all the answers. <laughs> I genuinely don't. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, no, I'll was... let you kick off. It was great. As I said, he, he's such a great guy. Um, uh, all power to his new skirmish game. I like the idea of that very much. Uh, you know, I'm not. I haven't played a skirmish game for a long time, but the idea of playing a saber toothed tiger, tiger faction is, sounds quite fun. Um, I also yeah. thought actually there, there could be a role playing game in there already with minis ready available that you could then play a, a tribe of Neanderthal or a tribe of Chromatic. Well, there is. We've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks on, on the Blimmin' Discord, mate. It's called Worm. It's a French oh, game, yeah. but it's yeah, currently yeah. published by Chaosium, and it was on sale a couple of weeks ago, which is why we were talking about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. And they have some ready-made minis, thanks to Firelock as well. <laughs> and uh, the other thing I thought, though, is it reminded me uh, that what I'd like to do is a game, actually, that's kind of like a prequel game, where we're two tribes of very ape-like early humans and one of us touches a big black obelisk and then we can use bones. The answer is to bang the rocks together, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, cool, cool. All right, well, that was great. So um, looking forward to the next episode. episode, we've got a couple of possible ideas, haven't we? Uh, well, we've only got one, really. Actually, the other episode is... True. Uh, the other idea we've had is for it's later for August. on. August, yeah. Uh, and so, we, we'll see, keep that one a secret. 
because we haven't we're, we're less certain about how that one's going to play out but what yeah. we hope to do august being zine month the next episode coming out just before august uh we did think uh craig uh hoodoo voodoo who we had a little while on uh we'd had on a little while ago talking about signal to noise had offered to come back and talk us through zine month um and zine month's about to happen so we thought we might get him on I think that's a great idea. Um, it's, it's something that I've I was I wanted to do it last time, but then I obviously couldn't make that interview. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was some... it specifically because you weren't there, were you? So exactly. You yeah, to, to talk to somebody who's who's been there and done that a little bit about how you go about doing a Kickstarter and what you ought to worry about in doing so. Um, and um, with that in mind, somebody else that you didn't get to interview and ask those questions of is Josh Parry. Indeed, yeah. So, so we I'm just wondering we whether we could invite them both on for a I bit think of we a... Should. I think that would be great. Now, yeah. we, we haven't spoken to either of them yet, so this might not come off. But So something else entirely idea. might happen. Yeah, but it's a great idea, and I think we should try and make that happen if Josh and, and Craig are up for it. Cool, that sounds like a great episode next time. Until then, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And may the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.